0: So what it it boils down to is we want these kids to want to be there. And when they want to be there, sport falls into place, right? They get better because they like it. They get better because they enjoy challenging themselves and they have more sort of uh, time on task, if you will, right? Because they want to be there and they do it more, so. You're listening to the Birdie Dad podcast. They can't make a birdie, but they can dad. And now your hosts, Jared, Brian, and Trevor.
1: Joining us on the podcast today is Travis Dorsch. Travis is a former NFL player and now a professor at Utah State University. He's also the founder of the Families in Sports Lab and he is here to share with us his knowledge and expertise for all parents raising kids focusing on youth sports. Before we get into this interview, head over to birdiedads.com. Check out the great stuff we've got going on. Hey, buy yourself a t-shirt. We've got some cool ones give it to a dad, or give it to yourself before Father's Day. Now let's get into this interview with Travis. You know, if you have ever said, my kid is going pro, uh, get comfortable for today because we've got Travis Dorch on with us. Travis, welcome to the show. You got Brian and I, your regular birdie dad, so glad you could join us.
0: Yeah, I appreciate being here. Appreciate it. Brian,
1: how are we doing today?
2: Doing okay. Rushing around. It's kind of a midday interview, so bounce from meeting to meeting. But uh, glad to talk to Travis right now.
1: Nothing better to spend our lunch hour together talking sports and dads. <laughs> so, right. uh, Travis, you know, I want to point out we're going to talk a lot about parenting and sports today with you. And your background is really in that that field. I mean, and I just want to point out to our listeners that you have made it to the highest level of sports. So as we get to talking and you this advice that you're going to drop on us, I mean, you're in the NFL, so. Do you want to start off and just break it down for us? What, what brings you to where you are today?
0: Man, it's such a long journey. I'll, I'll try and give you the, the Reader's Digest version. Um, yeah, you know, I had a wonderful childhood playing sports. I, I did it all. I was uh, a basketball player, a soccer player, uh, football, baseball, ran track in high school. I mean, I was just exposed to anything and everything growing up, as well as just a ton of sort of free play and exploration opportunities, making games up at the park, you know, recess at school, these sorts of things that we look back on with some nostalgia that, that maybe you're missing a little bit today. Um, I also had a wonderful set of parents that uh, were were there for me all the time, but never an imposing figure. It was, it was always my journey and I always knew that. And I think, again, I think we're missing some of that today and don't get me wrong. I mean, I think parents are sort of a necessary uh, piece of sports. In fact, an integral piece of youth sports. They really, you know, they provide the opportunities, they introduce us as as young people to the opportunities, and we need them for all those sort of fiduciary contributions, right? There there are launderers, there are psychologists, our nutritionists, our chauffeurs, they're everything to us. So, you know, if we you know, really my research is, is built around this idea of how can we get parents to fulfill all these roles without putting that external pressure on kids. So back to my journey. I mean, I think, you know, I really felt like um, I had sort of the, the really prototypical, just kind of perfect youth sport experience. And then I went off to college um, and was fortunate enough to be a two-sport athlete at Purdue University where I played football and baseball. Uh, parents remained involved, you know, flying weekly from Montana out to Indiana, coming to my games, you know, helping me um, get integrated into the college atmosphere out there in Indiana. And, and again, but never sort of stepped on my toes. We're never too involved. We're always just there to sort of support me. And I was, a, I was a developmental psychology major as an undergrad at Purdue. And as I wrapped up my degree, I, I kept thinking, like, how, how can I integrate these two passions of mine, my academic passion for psychology and my sort of personal passion for youth sports and for, for families' involvement in youth sports? And uh, that led me, after my playing career, um, had a couple of years, fortunate enough to play in the NFL and played overseas for a couple more years um, in the now defunct NFL Europe. Um, so, so I'm four years out of college and I'm thinking, okay, what do I want to do now? I ended up um, choosing a path to come back to Purdue and pursue a master's degree in sport and exercise psychology and ultimately a doctorate as well, and really uh, arrived at the intersection of those two passions that I described earlier, um, you know, studying family involvement in youth sport. And, uh, and here I am now, maybe a decade later from that, uh, as the founding director of the Families in Sport Lab at Utah State University. And we really try and ask and answer a lot of questions around how how is youth sports shaped by parents and how does it shape parents and families and what are sort of the broader kind of community level and societal level influences that that shape the entire system. So that's where we are today. I feel like I haven't worked a day in my life uh, being a you know a professional athlete and now getting to study young athletes every day. It's it's super cool. So psyched to be here with you guys today.
1: Yeah, and you're a dad too, right?
0: I, I am a dad. Yeah. I have a, a six-year-old and a four-year-old who are kind of starting their sport oh, journeys. Perfect. Uh, actually. Yeah. My my six-year-old is already kind of on a, on a competitive track as a, as a little ski racer and, uh, and doing a lot of other sports for fun in the community. So
2: that's awesome. Yeah. I have a five-year-old to, as of today, he just turned five. Ooh, yes. um, so he's super excited. It was a big day, big morning in our household. Um, and then that three, almost three-year-old. So I'm kind of right behind you on, yeah, on right those. there. So you call it a, a, a lab. What kind of studies do you guys do? I mean, it's not like, you know, the, the lab that I'm thinking of, which is, you know, beakers and, you know, poking people and stuff. What, what are the kind of studies that you're working on?
0: Yeah, we are not wearing white lab coats for sure. <laughs> I don't think explosive chemicals, unless you consider parents to be explosive, which they can be at times, but you know, most of our, I think most of our research takes place either in the field, right? We, we might be out at sporting events and this is probably more pre COVID. Uh, we might be out there studying parents' behaviors on the sidelines or, you know, dropping microphones on a lapel pin or in their minivan mm-hmm. and, and trying to understand their communication on the sidelines or their conversations on the ride home. Um, we do a lot of survey research, so it might be a paper and pencil survey, you know, at a tournament on a weekend, or it might be an online survey where parents are filling out their, their experiences, their understandings, their perceptions, uh, or, or kids might be telling us what it's like to, you know, to be in a competitive or a recreational environment with their parents. So we're really just trying to, to go about this through a lot of different avenues, understand a lot of different people in a lot of different contexts, you know, and over the course of, you know, no, no one academic study really answers all the questions, but over the course of a career um, and and with colleagues and with graduate students, we try and really put, put the pieces of the puzzle, so to speak on the table. And then we can assemble those. Hopefully as we get further along in our, our research enterprise, we can assemble those and try and really understand what it is that's driving youth sports. And I think, you know, it's, it's kind of a hard question because it's, it's sort of developmental in nature, right? It's, it's different being a, being a young athlete at age 6 or 8 or 10 than it is being a more competitive athlete, let's say, at 14, 16, or 18. Um, and it's also it, – it changes, right, with, with cohorts and generations. I mean, I think back to my experience as a young athlete, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, coming up through the AAU basketball ranks and, and playing – uh, what we didn't re- refer to then, but we refer to now as like travel soccer and and some of these other sports at a pretty competitive level in the San Diego area. Um, it was it was maybe a harbinger of things to come, but looks nothing like what we see today out there, where sort of every kid and every family seemingly is looking for that, quote unquote, elite or travel experience. And um you know, so we're seeing this generational shift, I think, in what youth sport um, offers, what uh, a broader mission statement might be if you were to think about what, what is youth sports supposed to offer. And then also just sort of in the deliverables at the, at the community and organizational level.
2: Awesome. So success, what does that look like in your studies? Is it is getting to the professional level or is it just happiness? Like, How do you guys measure that um, you know, what people are doing is successful?
0: I mean, that is so subjective in nature. Mm-hmm. And I think <laughs> yeah. that's one of the, it's one of the big yeah. arguments out there, right? Is, um, you know, I think really, it's it's really important for parents, for coaches, for communities, for us as researchers to allow something like success to be self-defined. You know, it's a word mm-hmm. that's probably a lot like beauty. You, you can't really put adjectives to it, but you know it when you see it. So when you see a kid who self-defines as successful, that might be a six-year-old little, little leaguer who has the, the, the prettiest dandelion in the outfield, right? His picket, <laughs> prettiest dandelion. Yeah. Uh, you know, success to an 18-year-old varsity athlete in high school is going to look a little different. Um, to a professional is going to look even even more different than that. So, you know, I think it, it needs to be self-referenced, right, first and foremost. Yeah. Um, it's a word a lot like fun, right? I, I tend to stay away from the word fun and use the word enjoyment because I think fun can be fleeting and it's based on other things where you can enjoy things that are difficult. You can enjoy things when you have failure. Um, you can enjoy things that, that challenge you and get you outside of your comfort zone. They're not always fun, but you might enjoy them in the sense that they're helping you achieve your goals or your aims or your desires. So, you know, I think it's really difficult to uh, to ascribe a definition to success or to fun or to enjoyment. These are a lot of the, the things that we're trying to really get out there and study is, is how people do define those and, and how they define them at different developmental stages and in different social contexts.
1: And what have you found with like the age groups? I mean, we have kids young, although, I mean, my kid is only two and a half, almost three, Brian's are five and, and our parents go all the way up through high school. What have you found through those age groups and that, that participation in sports? Is there, I mean, as that shifts and, and we're talking about the the young, young kids and, and we talk about golf a lot, we see it on the course, you know, these eight, nine, 10 year olds with a lot of pressure um, but again, that pressure really continues to high school. So w- what have you guys found f- through your research with that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a number of things that that young athletes really, really want out of sport. First and foremost, and I think this is true of all of us, young people or adults, we want they, they want to be seen as competent, right? So young people want to be in a sports situation where they feel like they're good at it, where they feel like they compare well socially, where they feel like they're getting better on a regular basis. And this is why I think Sports for, for young people is, is so great because they do see those jumps and those improvements. Um, I, I know like with my daughter, I mentioned she is, she's a, a young ski racer. Uh, same is probably true in, in, in track and in swimming. Th- those times, are just getting better every time they go out. The more advanced you get, that doesn't happen. It seems like you're fighting just to stay as good as you were yesterday. But for young people, they want to see these jumps in competence. Um, young people also really want to be in a sports setting where they feel you know, a sense of, of relatedness or social togetherness, right? And they want to feel like they're out there with their friends. Maybe they want to play on a sports team with their buddy from school or with a kid from down the block, right? Or they, or they want to continue on the same team with the same kids over a course of a few years because they really start to build these, these social connections um, and, and these relationships, You know, and then the third thing I think that they want is they simply want to enjoy their experience, right? And and again, that's something that's self-defined, but, but nobody wants to be an environment. You don't want to go out and play golf. If golf's not fun for you, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't want to go out and go snow skiing. If it's not fun for me, um, I imagine that golf is fun for you and that skiing is fun for me. So we enjoy doing it. We engage in that. And these are three sort of underlying components really of, of a term that we use a lot in sport and exercise psychology. And that is intrinsic motivation. Okay. So what it, what it boils down to is we want these kids to want to be there. And when they want to be there, sport falls into place, right? They get better because they like it. They get better because they enjoy challenging themselves. And they have more sort of uh, time on task, if you will, right? Because they want to be there and they do it more. So, um, so yeah, I think those really are the underlying components. And I think, again, each of those three um, are self-defined and change in definition over time, right? So, so competence, again, to a six-year-old looks different than an 18-year-old. Uh, social connection looks different to a six-year-old than it does to an 18-year-old where it might change from, you know, peers from school to look, I'm really connected to my coach or my mentor or my older teammates, um, you know, or, or the social setting that sport is taking place in. So I think we always, again, need to come back to these two ideas of, of development, how, how old the child is and, and how skilled they are, but then also the context. Is it is it local? Is it recreational? Is it travel? Is it elite? Is it high school? Is it intercollegiate? Is it, you know, beyond? So, so I think we always need to keep those two things in mind.
1: Well, let me say, uh, you and I are sitting down, we're having a, a nice adult beverage, and I tell you, hey, my kid's going pro. I mean, what, what are you going to say to me with that question when we're talking as, as guys? I mean, because I hear that a lot. Hey, my yeah. kid's going to go pro.
0: I'm ready. It's really interesting. Uh, first thing I'm going to do is have you buy my beverage. Um, <laughs> you're Yeah. It's interesting. Let me reflect on a story from a couple weekends ago. Josie, Josie, my daughter, uh, was at a ski race down at Utah Olympic Park outside of Salt Lake, Salt Lake City, and there were about 200 athletes there—about 100 males, 100 females—and these are kids age eight to 12. It was it was for young kids, and um, and I, I can't tell you how many parents in the parking lot, maybe all 200, um, thought their kid was going to be the next Olympian. Right? They're out there at Utah Olympic Park. It's you know it's a beautiful day. They're out there racing and. Unfortunately, there's only there's only a couple spots on the male and the female Olympic team, right? Or will be mm-hmm. when these guys are of age to be of that ability level. So, when you think about the raw numbers and the sheer statistics of it, and and it varies by sport, of course, but as, as a rough estimate, you know, you can think about typically about um, about two percent of high school athletes are going to go on and play in college. And again, it varies by sport. It might be a little higher in female sports, a little higher in in um, sort of non traditional sports like lacrosse or, or others. But but about two percent. Um, are going to go on and play in college. And of those about two more percent are going to go on and play um, anywhere professionally or at an Olympic level. And that's just starting from a baseline of high school. So you got to consider, you know, from all the youth athletes out there, maybe a third or a half might go on and even play in high school. And then you're talking about 2% of those and 2% of those. So you're really, you're really getting to the the, the top of the pyramid when it comes to that. Now, at the same time, I never discourage that attitude, particularly, I like that attitude, if it's coming from the athlete, if it's the parent, sometimes I'll, you know, I'll I'll then move to the athlete and say, well, what are your goals? What are your aspirations? You know, how hard are you willing to work? Um, Another component to this is, you know, there's when the sperm meets the egg, a lot of this is is predetermined, right? I've I've met or seen a lot of parents and and dad's five, nine and mom's, you know, five, four. And they tell me their kids going to the NBA. And I'm looking at them like based on when the sperm meets the egg, these people are going to be just athletic monsters. Mm -hmm. And, of course, on top of that, it takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of dedication. It takes a lot of luck, a lot of resilience, a lot of other things. Um, but if you don't have that that athletic ability to start with and build from, then then my answer to that dad is no, your your child's not going pro. Um, so I think I think um, you know, look, we we need young people to have high aspirations, to have goals, but we don't need that to be driven or dictated by by parents sitting around talking to other parents because that just fosters this this sort of trickle down professionalization of youth sports. Um, And really, I think one of the unintended, unintended, excuse me, byproducts of this um, is we're pricing a lot of people out. You know, we're creating contexts and scenarios back to my experience here in ski racing. You know, you're talking about a profession that's already expensive when you think about passes and equipment and travel and all these things. And now you're going to say that you got to go spend all this money on coaching and all this money, you know, to get to the best races and to hire private instructors and coaches and strength trainers and psychologists and, Look, your kid's six, your kid's eight. Let them be a kid. Let them experience mm-hmm. sports. And, and post puberty, when they grow into their body, when they figure out what they actually love doing, right? So we're talking now 14, 15, 16, 17-year-olds. Now we can start, you know, in a really targeted way, investing in and supporting something if they really are passionate about it and want to pursue it at a high level. But it's outrageous to me that we're doing that for, you know, six and eight-year-olds.
1: let me ask you, we have, we've had this discussion on here before about success and next level. A parent that might be considering holding their kids back for athletic purposes, you know, what, what would you say? I mean, do you see that a lot? And what would you say to those parents? I mean, you kind of referenced a little bit. The success is so minimal, but is that something that you hear discussed?
0: You know, if, if it's a borderline question, right? If you have like a, a summer or early fall birthday for a kid and you're thinking, look, do I want my kid to be 17 when they graduate from high school or 18? I see no issue with parents making the decision that I want my kid to be a little bit on the older side of their grade cohort. I think there are a lot of advantages, developmentally, socially, emotionally, to being on the upper end of the cohort rather than the lower end. Now, the calculus also needs to balance out, look, where is the kid gonna be academically? What are the kid's goals um, academically in school, socially? Um, and, And athletics can and should play a part. It should be one data point in that decision. But I think it begins to get a little bit ridiculous when it's it's on the on the far end of the spectrum. And it's OK. My kid should be 18 when they graduate. But now I'm going to make them 19 or even 20 years old when they graduate from high school. So they can be the biggest and baddest and 16 you know, year old freshman out there competing against you know, other other freshmen. Um, it, it can get quickly ridiculous. But um, look, I'm never going to fault a parent as long as it's in consultation with a child and potentially a guidance counselor, maybe even a physician about, look, you know, there's some advantages to being bigger and stronger and smarter and older in your grade. I mean, that's the research suggests that, but when we start using it as, or, or to dictate an advantage only in sports or to, you know, to get a scholarship, I think that's where it begins to get a little bit ridiculous. And, and I think, you know, college coaches know, college coaches know when maturity happens for athletes in their sports. And if you got a a 19 or 20-year-old kid out there dominating 16 and 17-year-olds in football, the college coach isn't looking at that objectively for what it is. He's saying, how does this 19-year-old match up to my 22-year-olds on campus? Great point. And, and, and this 19-year-old might be at their peak. And he's beaten up on a 16-year-old. But what I see in that 16-year-old is a lot of potential and athleticism. And when I get him on campus, I'm going to see growth over four years, whereas this guy's already at his peak. So, I mean, I think there are, there are positives and and potentially drawbacks to that.
2: That's a good point. Bringing it back to the, the athlete and the enjoyment of what, what, you know, this youth sports are, are going through. Um, how do we, as parents manage those expectations? What have you found in your studies where, um, you know, parents put the expectations on the kid and the kid doesn't enjoy it. And then there's this rift between parent and kid um, during the sports, uh, you know, experience.
0: It's, it's probably the most simple and probably the most complex answer out there. And that is we have to communicate with our, with our young people. Um, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of, um, at least seasonal, but, but probably more like monthly or even weekly conversations around what are your goals? How can I, uh, help facilitate those goals? How am I either facilitating or hindering you in achieving your goals? What can we as a family do more of or less of to help you achieve your goals? And then it, it keeps the conversation around the kids goals, Right. And that's, that's harder, I think, to do at the younger ages. Cause like, I I think about my relationship as a sports dad with my six and four year old, they don't care. They just love being active. They love being out there. And I'm starting with my daughter. She's six now. Like we're starting to have some of these conversations around goals and things that might be on the horizon, but like with my four year old guy, he's in learn to play leagues. He just wants to go out and have fun and run around and have his finger in his nose and like, you know, sort of (laughs) learn, learn the most basic of the skills that, that make up a sport. And that's what, what it needs to be about. But, but as they get older, especially as they get into puberty and start um, seeking independence from, from parents, right? they get 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, early adolescence, we need to provide them that independence and, and keep the experience about them. Because the minute that they feel like I'm only skiing because of dad, or I'm only playing golf because of mom, or because my older sibling did it, or because my community expects it, or because... You know, I heard mom and dad in the bedroom fighting and they said, you know, we, we dropped $20,000 on my, on my golf career. I have to keep playing. You know, these are the things now, earlier we talked about intrinsic motivation. These are the things that create extrinsic motivation that create a sense of being trapped or a sense of doing it out of guilt or obligation rather than, than really loving it or enjoying it or wanting to get better at it.
1: Right. I mean, for, and if anyone goes back and watches your Ted talk, it's awesome. When you talk about this, this inverse relationship that parents invest and one of the things I think of right away when I wanted to get you on the show was because as dads and, and moms too we want to be a caddy for our kids in golf specifically you know we feel like we're out there putting hours on the range with them we're putting hours on the course and we want to see that come back um that inverse relationship was that's that's immediately what drew me to you know I've got to get Travis on here to talk about this
0: yeah I think it's it's something that that sort of blew us away and it probably shouldn't have it, it's sort of commonsensical when when you think about it, but look, anytime we put money into anything, right? And this is how I opened the Ted talk, but we put, we put money or, or time or energy into anything. We want something in return. And, and I think that's true of us as parents as well. I mean, I look, I know this research, I give Ted talks about this research, but when I'm out there with my daughter and I see her on the ski hill, like, okay, we put a lot of time, money, energy, investment, emotion, uh, everything into this. So let's see it go rip, you know? Um, and that's hard for me to sort of separate Dad from from researcher Travis from the you know from the literature that I understand, and just let her have that experience of success, of failure, of trying, of striving, of of being motivated, of having fun, all of these things. So, it, it's important, I think, that you know one of the things we learn early in emotion regulation, right? Probably from our parents or our teachers is when you have an emotion, is to count to ten or take a deep breath, right? And I think as parents, sometimes we can we can lean on that too, right? We can we can count to 10 or we can take a deep breath or both sometimes even maybe walk away from the venue and just just go take 5 minutes and then come back with a, with a fresh set of eyes and ears and and really in the spirit of allowing the experience to be the child i mean i think we as adults reflect all the time right i know i'm sure you do i do for sure all the lessons that we learned right and none of those lessons probably were parent taught they were lessons that we sort of learned the hard way things about resilience, things about respect for authority, things about, you know, all these lessons that we associate with youth sports. They're lessons that we, as parents often struggle letting our kids learn alone because we want to be the teachers of those lessons. But I think sport is a wonderful vehicle for us to go hands off for a minute and just allow them uh, to experience this. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh yeah, That's great. I, I struggled with that. I was in the garage last night with uh, my three-year-old and he, he loves to just swing the club. And I forget that he's three sometimes. And I was getting frustrated because he wasn't gripping the club in the right way. And he wasn't listening to me. I'd like line his, his hands up. I'm like, this is where you have to hold it because the club's too heavy to hold it back here. He'd always just drift his hands back. And I, I, had, I had to do what you just said, which is take a step back, take a couple of breaths and be like, he's three, just swing buddy. <laughs> that's, that's what it is at this point.
0: And when, when is he going to be on the Mike Douglas show um, like Tiger Woods?
2: Right <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, learning from you, I think I'm just going to let him decide. Let, let's let that be one of his goals.
1: You know, and one of the struggles we deal with is that, you know, when your kid, you, you talk about, okay, what do we do as parents? Well, we talk to our kids. Well, what about when your kid doesn't want to talk to you and, and they don't want to open up about what they want?
0: Hmm. This, is, this is normal. Um, I think especially <laughs> yeah. as, as kids get in, again, into, into puberty, early adolescence age, there's a natural um, independence that they're seeking. And, and in seeking that independence, I think it's nice if we can find for them um, older peers and trusted mentors like coaches and teachers um, who can be a sounding board for them. That can be that, this sounds bad, but that person in our life that we used to when they thought we knew everything, right? And then they're going to get to a point where they don't think we know anything anymore. Um, I reflect on a story. My, my dad um, in little league uh, was our, was our head coach and we had another assistant coach who was the dad of another kid on the team. And I think they quickly figured out um, and, and made a pact that look, you know, this other dad's going to coach me and my dad's going to coach that dad's kid. Right. So they mm-hmm. kind of did this, this crossing pattern uh, whereby, you know, we would listen to the other dad cause he knew everything, but our, our own dad, we didn't want to hear about it, whether it was the ride home or on the diamond. So you know, I think in strategic ways, we as parents can put our kids in situations, um, you know, if they're middle schoolers, find, find a high schooler kid that they look up to, that they can work with, that they can work on their skills with, that they can lean into for, for advice and connection. Um, find, find a coach that they trust and respect, that they can, you know, do those film sessions with or get those extra hours or time on task with, um, because there's going to be a point where they just don't want to do it with mom and dad anymore. And that's okay. They, they will come full circle. Typically by the time they come full circle, though their sporting career is over, you know, that typically happens in, in the early twenties when they, they go off and now they've established their independence and they feel comfortable in that independence. So they're going to circle back now to their secure base, their secure attachment, which is typically mom and dad. So, um, you know, I think it, it's hard for parents. I'm not ready for it. I got to, you know, like I said, six and four year old, I'm not ready for, for adolescents yet, but it's coming, it's coming fast. It's a train headed right at us. So, you know, we have to be able to to give them the independence because you've seen the other side of that. You've seen, you've seen the parents that don't grant them the independence that hover that are, you know, we have words for them, right? The helicopter parent or the snowplow parent um, that are just there all the time and really micromanaging every aspect. And that might work for a little bit. It might get the kid the opportunities when they're 13, 14, 15, but then what do you have when, when the child's 18 and now they need to go off to that next level and live their life on their own. And they're not ready because they haven't made a single decision for themselves. So it's, it's difficult. It's not easy. Um, even for someone who knows what he's talking about, it's not easy.
1: <laughs> yeah. One of your, when your quotes I was reading, uh, I loved it. As you said, one of the ways we mess up as adults, being parents, coaches, and society is that we view children just as miniature adults. And you've talked about a lot. We don't let them just be kids.
0: Yeah. And I, I stole that from Dan Gould, a really renowned researcher in our field. I think he said that in a 1982 research paper, um, you know, and, 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 and we do, we tend to in research, in sports, in life, we tend to think of our, our young people as, as just miniature adults. And I think it's, you know, from, from brain architecture and development to, to body maturation um, to the emotions that they experience and have trouble regulating, they are not miniature adults. You know, they, by, by all accounts, they are their own species. And, um, and we, need to, we need to help them, help them grow. More importantly, help put them in situations that are growth-based opportunities. Sports can be so wonderful in that regard um, if we let children just simply experience it and experience the successes and failures. And of course, be there to support them through both, right? We're not like just throwing them to the wolves. But I think we as adults can also really mess it up when we try and um, adultize or professionalize youth sports, right? When we make it about, you know, scoreboard, baby, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, six-year-olds, sure, they're probably keeping score in their head. Eight-year-olds, definitely keeping score in their head. And that's, again, one data point in sports to judge success. But it shouldn't be how we structure the entirety of the youth sports system.
2: That's great. So we on this podcast before about growth. mind, you just kind of touched on it in growth-based sports experiences um, can you expand on that and you know like we, we talk about how we we're not going to call our kids smart but we're gonna explain a little more detail you figured out that problem um, pretty well like you used your, your skills to solve this problem is that, is that kind of is that resonating with you on, on, on the growth-based sports is that kind what you're talking about
0: yeah hundred percent I mean of course the the growth mindset comes from the amazing work of, of Carol Dweck and her colleagues out at Stanford and there's a wonderful book um, mindset that talks about this and I think You know, there's so much to be gained by looking um, to and at sport and and children's development through sport, through the lens of psychology and understanding that sport is really set up to equip people. This this was why we developed youth sport in the first place, way back in the early early 20th century, really set up nicely to equip people to succeed later in life if we do it the right way. Now, the, the million dollar question then becomes, how do we do it the right way? And I think for parents, looking at every opportunity, success and failure and everything in between as an opportunity to grow, to get better, to develop, to to reflect, to think about how might I apply this lesson later in life? Um, You know, kids put a lot of work into sports and they want to see positive outcomes. So what do we do as parents when, when our kid walks off the mound in their regional finals little league game? Um, they've been the best pitcher all season long and and they gave up the winning run and they're coming off the mound, tears down, you know, on their, on their Jersey, you're off to the sideline. I'm crying, like thinking about this story, you're off to the sidelines as a parent, right. And and the team's now done for the season. What, what's the first thing that you do? I think our natural instinct is, is of course, to put our armor on the kid and, and, and make them feel better. And, and I think our second instinct might be then once we get in the minivan is to talk about what they might've done differently. Right. And I think that's a really hard thing. Mm for young people. So I think knowing for parents, knowing when and where to have conversations can be a really important thing. Um, you know, I, I reflect again on my own experience with Josie and her ski race a couple of weeks ago that I was talking about. She made, you know, a couple of small mistakes that um, she finished fourth place. Um, she was probably um, of equal ability as the the girls, the young girls that finished ahead of her. And it would have been very easy for me either on the slope or in the car to start talking about, you know, why, why she made that mistake and, and how she could have you know corrected it. Um, during the run, but, but that wasn't the time that wasn't the place. She didn't, you know, she doesn't need to hear that. There's plenty of time for, she's six first and foremost. Okay. So it's okay to make mistakes when you're six or 26. Um, but, but understanding the emotional nature of sports and, you know, how, how these lessons then again, back to my original point relate to real life. So, so if one of you two comes home and, uh, and you've lost your job, and the first thing your wife says is, well, you should have done this differently. Like, mm. how, how does that make you feel as, as a human, as a man, as a husband, right? You're not going to react well to that, probably. So, so think about that same lesson in sports. And, you know, there's so much to be learned, I think, in sports that if we as parents can do it in the right way, which I know is subjectively defined that we can, have, we can see so much growth in our young people. And before you know it, we'll be able to take our hands off the wheel and just sit back and, and be a fan and watch them. And they will have complete control over that journey, which is a lot of fun, I think, as a parent.
1: Absolutely. I think that's our ultimate goal is just let them enjoy it. Let them enjoy it and go for the ride. Don't, <laughs> don't take over, right? I mean, we've well, heard that yeah, plenty and, of times.
0: And the cool thing about, you know, you guys are, are the birdie dads. The cool thing about golf, cool thing about skiing that my kids are involved in is these... If we do it right, can become lifelong sports. So our, our goal should be not to screw it up, right? Um, I was talking to a I was talking to a good buddy of mine who's the director of coach development for US Ski and Snowboard down in Park City, and um, and I asked him just kind of point blank. I was like, so he, he has two daughters as well, a little bit older than mine, a nine year old and a seven year old. And I said, how will you define success, um, uh, you know, for your daughters as ski racers? And he he and his wife are both Olympic ski racers. I said, so how will you define success for your daughters? And he said, you know, if they come home from college after their first semester in college and, and it's, you know, it's Christmas time and they're back in the house and they say, hey, dad, let's go ski. He said, that's success to me. Like we haven't turned them off to a sport that they can do for literally like 80 years of their life. And that struck me because I'm like, you're an Olympian, you know, and your wife's an Olympian and, and, and you just want your kids to enjoy skiing. And it's so wise. Um, and, and that story will resonate with me, I think, for a long time. Um, And I think it's, it's, it's great. And it's maybe a little different than sports like basketball, which, which you shouldn't play past your forties. If you want to keep your ACLs intact, Um, you know, football and baseball, which there really aren't a lot of opportunities for adults to play, uh, you know, regardless of, of setting. So I think finding these, these sport opportunities and letting our kids fall in love with them and teaching them that sport is a lifelong passion, not just something you do to get a scholarship or to make the Olympics or to get a varsity letter, right. Um, but it's something that we do because it's part of. It becomes part of who we are.
1: I love that, Travis. Thank you. I mean, as we're wrapping up here, is there? Uh, do you want to let our listeners know where they can find more of what you're working on right now?
0: Yeah, absolutely. We keep a pretty comprehensive website with a repository of of resources and information, as well as all of our all of our research studies that we've put out. Um, and you can find that at familiesinsportlab.usu.edu. Uh, Familiesinsportlab, all one word usu.edu. and uh, again, you can learn more about who we are, what we do, some of our community initiatives. Uh, you can find find my TED talk there, and a lot of good resources, um, community and societal resources, uh, for those parents out there that are maybe looking to find some answers that they can't quite get their hands on. So, and I'm always happy um, to engage uh, either on phone or Zoom w- with anybody. So, if any of your listeners want to reach out, I'm pretty easy to find um, here on campus. If you just Google my name um, at USU, you can. You can find me pretty easily.
1: Yeah, I found you and, and you are very responsive. So, <laughs> uh, you know, awesome. and I, I found you from the book, uh, The Opposite of Spoiled, which my no. wife and I were reading together and excellent book about finances and raising your kids. And, you know, like I said, your your thoughts on, on the relationship between sports and parenting uh, really kind of opened my eyes. And like I said, I found you and you responded to me. So gr- great stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a context most of us are going to find ourselves in. I think we have some some recent data that suggests about 90% of young people at some point uh, over the course of their development are going to participate in an organized youth sport. Uh, for about 50% of those children, it's an ongoing endeavor. So half our kids out there are playing sports really year-round on a continuous basis, jumping from sport to sport, from season to season. And, and parents, as I, as I began with today, parents are a huge and integral part of that. So if we can get to the point where the majority of the critical mass of parents are doing it the right way, I think we can see all these positive outcomes that we want. Awesome. Very cool.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode. Remember to go over to our website, sign up and share this episode with somebody who doesn't know about us yet. We are growing and we want to hear from you dads. Now get on on the course and don't forget your kids.